0: Whoa!
1: Out of the season of the great incarnation, the manifestation, the illumination, and that is, of course, with the feast of the entrance or the presentation of Christ in the temple. We call it in Eastern churches the encounter with Simeon. See, it's always a little, little different, but we arrive at the same point. And then from there we will start. Then what I call the ascent, where the church calls the ascent of Christ. All this was his descent. You know, the incarnation, the birth, and so on. Now comes the ascent as we move into the Lenten season, follow Christ to Calvary, following his resurrection, and he takes us with us to heaven at his ascension. So it's a beautiful, beautiful descending, ascending rhythm of Christ, of salvation, history, and of the liturgical life of the church. We have today on our program a special guest, someone who knows a lot about the spirituality of the Eastern churches, liturgical life, and so on. And his name is Deacon Anthony Dragani, and he is a professor of religious studies at Mount Aloysius College in Creston, Pennsylvania, which is near the Johnstown area of Pennsylvania. And I want to welcome Deacon Dr. Anthony to Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ, Dr. Lord Anthony.
2: Glory to him forever. Thank you for having me, Father.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, where uh, your, your background and, and what you teach and so on.
2: Sure. I grew up in uh, Pennsylvania. I teach at a college called Mount Aloysius College, where I teach uh, theology and religious studies. I have a background in world religions for my undergraduate. I also studied theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville for my master's degree. And I have a doctorate in systematic theology from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And while I was at Duquesne, I also did a lot of coursework at St. Cyril Methodius Byzantine Catholic Seminary, where I was able to work on my specialty on Eastern Christian theology.
1: Oh, and you—you you have a family, children?
2: Yes, I'm married. Uh, my wife is named Vanessa Dragani, and we have two beautiful daughters. We have a three-year-old and a nine-year-old.
1: And you're a deacon, so you, so you work at a church. You serve at a church.
2: I have two parishes I serve at. Oh. Uh, one is in Revelock, Pennsylvania. It's called Protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary Ukrainian Catholic Church. And the other one is in Northern Cambria, Pennsylvania, about 20 minutes away called St. Mary's Ukrainian Catholic Church. And I love both parishes. They're great to work with.
1: And you are part of the Ukrainian Eparchy of Parma, also called the Eparchy of St. Josephat, right?
2: Indeed I am, yes.
1: And that's centered in Parma, Ohio, down the street from where my Eparchy is centered, which is also the Eparchy of Parma. It's the Ruthenian Eparchy of Parma.
2: <laughs> exactly. There are two beautiful cathedrals right there in the same town.
1: Yeah, it's very, very eastern.
2: <laughs> it is.
1: <laughs> well, since you teach uh, all about religion and you teach students... Let me ask you first of all, as a professor, especially a professor of of religion, where do you where are the young people at today? What what, what are they looking for? Where are they at? And how how are they when you try to teach them? Uh, t- t- tell me a little bit about that.
2: What I'm finding is a lot of them are hungry for something spiritual, something supernatural. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, very often they're looking in the wrong places for this. Part of it is. Uh, many of them have become disillusioned with the idea of religion as an institution. Mm-hmm. The scandals, unfortunately, have taken a major toll on many of the Catholic students. Here where I live is the Diocese of Altoona Johnstown, which is kind of notorious, unfortunately. Yes. It had some of the worst um, abuse cases in the entire country. It was probably one of the worst uh, dioceses as far as the abuse scandal went, um, next to Boston, I would imagine. Pretty serious situation. Now, right now, they're a wonderful bishop. They're trying to clean it up, um, but it's been a mess. And unfortunately, it's been on the news constantly. And that has taken a real toll for a lot of the young people who grew up in this area. So very often, they're not, they're not open to the church at first, but they're looking for something spiritual. Unfortunately for many of them, that means uh, looking into other religions, or into New Age things, or into uh, ghost hunting, the paranormal, that type of thing. Mm. You can see there's a hunger there for something more than what they currently
1: have. I believe, and I've often said it on our program here, and I say it in any other way I can, but I, I believe that the... Eastern Christian spirituality. That's This program is about light of the East. We, we present the gifts of both lungs of the church, as St. John Paul II called it, East and West, but primarily, of course, the Eastern churches. And I believe that right now in history, the Eastern spirituality, the Eastern churches have what I call the round peg that will fit into the round hole in, in the soul of Western civilization. I am not saying that one church like the East is better than the West. I'm just saying that the whole, there's a hole in the modern Western civilization right now. And I believe that the Eastern churches have that round peg that can fit into that hole. At least that's where I'm coming from. How do you see an Eastern Christian spirituality, the Eastern churches, how do you see their place or significance in what is really a modern and pretty secular culture right now here in the United States of America? How do you see their significance?
2: Well, uh, to answer that, I'm going to talk a bit about what I experienced when I was in college myself as a student. When I was in college, um, again, I saw the hunger like I see now, and I saw a lot of people gravitating towards Eastern non-Christian religions, like Buddhism and Hinduism and whatnot, and today I still see the same thing. Uh, There's a draw towards those Eastern religions primarily because they offer an experience and a practice. In other words, in those religions, people can have a mystical experience by practicing certain disciplines. Unfortunately, it seems that Western Christianity as a whole has become very intellectual In the eyes of many people. Uh, Many people look at the Western churches and see a situation where you believe certain things. It's about reading books, having certain beliefs, studying certain literature. Unfortunately, many people think that's what Christianity is about in the West. Uh, Now, of course, the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern churches have the same fundamental faith, but the emphasis is different. And in Eastern Christianity, there's more of an emphasis upon experience and practice in the spiritual life. In other words, rather than focusing so much on, you know, knowing certain things, it's more about living a type of spiritual life that has a very mystical, otherworldly character, and it's made very practical in the spirituality of the East. So, the Eastern Christian spirituality, I think, offers a method, and it offers more of an experience, more so than Western Christianity typically does.
1: You know, Dick and Anthony, I often find that the Western mind, both in the church and outside the church, is really kind of thrown by this word mystical. Mm -hmm. They tend to see it as something kind of spooky, you know, or at most, you know, you have stigmatis and you levitate or something. Uh, Explain a little bit more about what we mean by the mystical.
2: Certainly. And of course, you know, the Western church as well has a mystical tradition. It just seems that the emphasis... Uh, As greater in our tradition, whereas the West tends to emphasize the intellectual more. But by mystical, I'm talking about having a direct encounter with the other, a direct encounter with the divine. And for us, that often means experiencing the light of God. And this light isn't necessarily something that's visible, although sometimes it is, but more often it's something that comes into us, changes us, and transforms us, And God willing, shines through us to other people. It talks in the Bible about the light, God being associated with light. We see, for example, on Mount Tabor, during the Transfiguration, Jesus shows his true self. And he's glorious. There's a bright white light emanating from him. That's who he truly is. We also see, for example, in the Old Testament, Moses going to Mount Sinai. He enters the presence of God. When he comes down the mountain, he's glowing so brightly. Being in God's presence has filled him with God's light. So for us, it's about experiencing that divine light. It's a light that comes into us, transforms us, and hopefully shines to the rest of the world.
1: And it's not that the East is not intellectual or is not into reading books on theology and so on. It does, of course, include that. It's just that the the emphasis is more on a—and again, this is the difference between East and West. It's, it's a matter of emphasis. A lot of times, you know, I'm sure you get this too. People will say, and they usually want in one simple answer, what's the difference between the East and the West? You know, what's the difference between being a Byzantine Catholic and a Roman Catholic— and and my best way I can explain it I try to explain it is that well you arrive at the same point basically but it's different emphasis it's by a different a little bit different route so the the emphasis on the East is more mystical that sort of direct experience of God and with that comes an interesting word maybe you can explain this word a little bit we have about uh, about a minute to go uh, is apophatic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, that word refers to. Uh, trying not to say too much about the divine, not saying too much about God. In other words, we focus on what we don't know about God more than what we do know about God. Uh, so the mystical tradition of the East, which is very much united with the theology, tries not to say too much, not to define too much, but rather to rest in the mystery.
1: When I was in Rome, I was with uh, there were us Eastern seminarians and Roman seminarians together. It was a great experience. And we used to rib each other. And so one day we were kind of ribbing the Western seminarians, the Latin Rite seminarians about being overly intellectual, overly rational. And one of the Latin Rite seminarians responded to us Byzantines and said, "Yeah, well when you Easterners can't explain something, you throw a veil around it, blow incense around it and call it a mystery." <laughs> So, on that note, we'll take a little break. Our guest is Dr. Deacon Anthony Dragani, who teaches at Mount Aloysius College in Pennsylvania. And, real quick before the break, Deacon, where can people find out more about you?
2: I have a website called easttowest.org. That's E A S T, the number two, west, W E S T dot O R G there I post articles and answer questions about Eastern Catholicism. Also, I have a YouTube channel that I'm working on with my pastor called Catholic Explorer, where we post videos about the Catholic faith.
1: We'll be back after this break. Our guest is Dr. Dinkin Anthony dragani
0: I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We have a special guest today, someone who teaches theology. I talk about it here in this program, but this is someone who teaches it, a professor of religious studies at Mount Aloysius College. His name is Dr. Deacon Anthony Dragani. Doctor Anthony, tell us a little bit more about the the epiphatic. Like like help people, though especially the Western mind, understand how, how do we how do we come to know God by what we don't know? What does that mean?
2: Well in and of itself it's pretty mysterious to be honest with you. The the truth of the matter is that God is so vast, so powerful, that we with our finite minds can know so very little. We can only understand a little bit which He shares with us, and even then it's oftentimes more than what we can handle. So in the Eastern tradition, we try not to focus too much on saying too many things about God and figuring things out about God as much as we try and focus on God's interactions with us through our experiences and through the liturgy and through the faith. But ultimately, uh, a good way of looking at it is this, sometimes less is more,
1: sometimes
2: little is better than too much.
1: Yes, and our prayers, you get a really good indication of this. Our prayers, especially those beautiful, long priestly prayers and liturgy, they speak about God in negatives, what He is not. He is ineffable, incomprehensible, uncontainable. So we say a lot about who God isn't, and that helps to affirm who He is, in a sense. Is that that pretty close? 100% accurate. (laughs) Now, whenever you teach the students, and the students that are searching for the mystical, for something more spiritual, I imagine you have a chance to, to share with them some of this Eastern Christian spirituality, right? In some courses, I do. Now, what about the other part of Eastern Christianity? It is demanding in its own way. Like We do a lot of fasting. We mm-hmm. do a lot of long praying. Uh, we're pretty serious about our, our dogma, our theology, and how do you, how do you see that in terms of Well, is it something that can make it a little bit harder to sell Eastern Christianity? Or is it something that can make it more attractive?
2: I think it makes it more attractive. And the reason is, very often, people who are searching are looking for something that will make demands on their life. The worst thing you can do to any faith is to try and water it down, make it palatable, make it easy. If a person is looking for God, if a person is looking for commitment... They want something that requires them to change. Uh, I've had young people tell me that over and over again. Unfortunately, uh, since the 1960s and 70s, there's been a tendency within Catholicism to try and make things as easy as possible, to lessen the disciplines, to make things seem more popular, more aligned with the popular culture. That loses people. I think a more demanding faith is actually attractive to people who are looking for something to change their lives.
1: You're a deacon and you mentioned you worked in parishes and I'm a pastor working in parishes. Let me ask you this and this is a this is a tough one for us pastors. You know, we do talk about as I do here in this program as you and I are doing talking about the the beauty, the gifts of this Eastern Christian spirituality. However, our ability to grow, you know, we're always so small, our ability to evangelize and to grow can be a bit of a challenge. In other words, a lot of times people will come and they'll visit us, but they won't necessarily stay, or they'll find us kind of interesting. But we don't have the numbers, not anywhere near as in the Latin rite. The Latin rite has the great genius of, well, portability, evangelism. They, they can take the word of God wherever and however, and make it very effective. We do evangelize, but in a different way. It's, like, frustrating for us pastors because we want the church to grow more or faster. At the same time, we don't want to compromise its integrity. So what would be your insights on that? I'm going to call it a a kind of a challenge or a little bit of a conundrum.
2: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I think, on one hand, we have a tremendous beauty in our tradition. The spirituality, the theology, the liturgy is absolutely spellbinding if it's done right. On the other hand, there can be a difficult barrier to entry for a lot of people because it's so foreign to their culture, it's so foreign to their experience. And sometimes, unfortunately, uh, Eastern Catholic parishes try and do a um, half-and-half where there's a lot of Easternness, but also they try and water it down and make it seem more Western. I think that actually turns people away more than an authentically Eastern spirituality and liturgical life do. Because it's neither here nor there. Uh, But part of our challenge, I think, is getting out there, making people aware of us, inviting people to our churches, and generally talking about our faith. Uh, Many people in our churches come from immigrant groups, whether recently or generations ago. And very often the immigrants who came here were very concerned about being part of the American culture. And part of the American culture was not talking too much about your religion to other people or not seeming too different to other people. So for that reason, there was a tendency to either not talk about faith or to try and make it seem like the larger Western Christian churches. Um, That's been a disservice to us in the long run.
1: Yes, in the the Second Vatican Council, a lot of times people ask me, well, how did the Second Vatican Council affect your church and your liturgy? Well, I tell them, well, it was a real gift to us because it it called us to reform these very things you're talking about. It said we were not following our innate indigenous traditions in in spirituality, that we recover them and not compromise them at all. So that was a, a great call for us from the Second Vatican Council. Second Vatican Council affected Latin church in different ways, but for us, it, it called us back to our, 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 our authentic selves. And I believe, uh, Deacon Anthony, that, the, you know, the way we, we do evangelize as an Eastern church is by being the best version of ourselves. I, I kind of like it this way. The West can go out beyond themselves and they can kind of go out and, and bring the gospel, bring the word in a very effective way outside of themselves to every place in the world. Now, we can and have done it to an extent, but our way of evangelizing seems to be, I call it almost like a, like a beautiful queen. We evangelize, I think, in a large part by drawing people to us by beauty and the mystical. The, the West can bring it to people, and we do it to an extent too, but I think our greater strength is drawing people to us. So, it's like, people coming to see the beautiful queen, to be part of that royalty and that beautiful queen. Although the queen does have to go out among her people, you know, her subjects at at the same time. So we do have to get out there. But I think our greater strength is in, in really being the best versions of our beautiful selves. In other words, we give an experience of the truth of God, His goodness and His beauty. And I think that when we are at our best, especially liturgically, that is how we evangelize. Is that your experience at all?
2: Oh, absolutely it is. When people attend a Byzantine liturgy for the first time, and they're open to the experience, uh, when they see the beauty, when they see the mystery, the emphasis upon the sacred, the emphasis upon the supernatural, for many people, that pulls their hearts right in. Uh, I know many people who've come to our churches because of that, that experience. And historically, that's the way it often worked as well. Of course, we know the famous story of St. You know, Vladimir in Kiev. Yes. Where he sent his ambassadors around the world to look at different religions. When they went to Constantinople, they saw the divine liturgy in Hagia Sophia. And they came back and said, we did not know if we were in heaven or on earth. It was so beautiful. And that beauty ultimately... You know, brought the faith to the Slavic peoples through Kiev.
1: And when that beauty really is experience, yes, it gives you experience of God because God is true, good, and beautiful. What would you say is maybe the, the greatest genius of Eastern spirituality?
2: Mm. Well, the whole approach to uh, the Church in some ways is different as far as emphasis goes. So we're talking right now about Eastern Christian spirituality. A lot of people... Even Eastern Christians, whether Catholic or Orthodox, may not be aware that there is an Eastern Christian spirituality that is unique to the East. Uh, That's because very often there's been a tendency to reduce our faith to the liturgy, Mm -hmm. not to look at the theology and the spirituality. And really, the liturgy, without the theology and the spirituality that goes with it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They Mm -hmm. all fit together as one unit, so to speak. And the beauty in the spirituality is that it looks at the church first and foremost as being a hospital. Mm. It doesn't look at the church as being an institution. Mm-hmm. It looks at the church as being a place where sick people go to be healed. And that's the beauty of it. And so much of our spirituality focuses on that. Our liturgy focuses on that as well. You know, the Eucharist is the medicine of immortality. Yes. We are broken people. We need healing and the Eastern spirituality talks a lot about the passions and overcoming the passions. And in our modern language, a good word for passions would be addictions. Uh-huh. You know, passions are things that take over, they control us. And I see all around me broken people who are hurting because of addictions in their lives. And there are all kinds of addictions all over the place. And many people, are getting addicted to things they wouldn't otherwise because of the spread of the internet. Mm. The Eastern Christian spiritual tradition really focuses on that experience. People who overcome by their passions, by their addictions, and it offers medicine, and it offers a path to overcoming them and experiencing true freedom. And that goes back to what I was talking about before about experience and method. You know, the things we talked about as being challenging, you know, the asceticism, the fasting, all of that is actually medicine that helps lead us out of slavery to addiction, slavery to the passions, but rather instead leads us towards true freedom through an experience of God. And I think uh, that Jesus' prayer is a big part of that as well. This idea of unceasing prayer taking a root within our hearts, within our minds, ultimately that is a tremendous path towards freedom.
1: Well, Deacon Anthony, I want to thank you for being on our program. We'll definitely have you back again. You're a wealth of information. And people can find out more about you and avail themselves of that wealth by going to East to West. That's with the number two, easttowest.org, or also your YouTube channel calling Catholic Explorer. Once again, Deacon Dr. Anthony Drogani. thanks for being with us. Glory to Jesus Christ. And thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the
0: East. Listeners to Catholic Radio, I think, benefit most, at least initially, from what I call remedial catechesis. What Catholic Radio does is it uh, becomes an echo chamber for the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. And what we're doing is teaching many things which uh, have been neglected over the last 40 or 50 years. If you listen to Catholic Radio, you know what the Catholic Church teaches. Al Cresta thinks Catholic Radio is important.
1: So should you. Thank you for listening.